I, I like how we have to refamiliarize ourselves with goals <laughs> every week. It's like, how the fuck do we? Well, it's not not like the worst thing ever. No, but we should definitely have like a little cheat sheet or something. Probably. So, um, what's I'm gonna call it? I have started, Gabe. I, I know I'm 50 episodes early, but I know if I waited last minute, it wouldn't get done. Uh, I have started to uh, correlate. Uh, or what's the one? What's the one I'm looking for? But yeah, I'm starting to collect um, snippets from the shows from the for the last you know episodes that we've done um, for the 200th episode. So okay. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like how we talked about doing this for the 100th episode yeah. as well. Yeah, I figured if I'm about 50 episodes out now, just about, and uh, I figured it might be a good thing to actually do this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am collecting clips, uh, things like that. So if you dig through the archive and you find something that you find funny or interesting, thought-provoking, whatever, uh, you know, just drop me the timestamp and what episode and whatnot, and I'll grab it and put it into the the big file. Good copy. I, I've already got a good idea of a couple of the snippets that are yeah, in there. Yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, if that's something that you would be interested in helping me out with, that'd be great. Cause, you know, cause I, I'm already gonna take, like the opening of the, the 200th show will be, um, the very first intro that I did with me and Adam. Right. And then it'll have the, the song and then me introducing the, the clips, the episode, and then playing them like in a, consecutively after that. You know, uh, um, cool that's kind of how I have it mapped out at the moment. Um, but yeah, because like, like I said, there's, there's going to be 200 episodes by the time we we get there, so uh, <laughs> I'm gonna need some help. Yeah, you, and, and you're gonna have to keep up with our like weekly or Correct. bi-weekly schedule as well. Correct. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff, gentlemen. So I figured, like I said, it might be good to get a jump on that. Um, in the meantime, uh, you know, gives us some time to work on the project and actually, you know, invest some time into it and whatnot. Hell yeah! All right, are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids podcast, episode number 150. This is five, right? 155? 155, question mark. No, yeah. it's 155. Yeah, it's 155. That's what I thought. And we are back on a beautiful day on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Today with me, I have my cohorts. Go ahead and introduce yourself, guys. Uh, we got Gabe over here in the corner. When's the last time you heard me introduce myself that way? Probably when we were still recording at the it's, old place, right? It's the Jabril in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> me, Greg. Me, Greg. Okay, cool. Excellent. <laughs> nice and simple. To the point. Yeah. Hey, man. It is what it is. Why say <laughs> let, why say my words when you don't have to, right? And we are back. And uh, we're excited. You know, uh, like Gabe said, we're, we're basically like a bi-weekly podcast at this point. I figured, uh, you know, news is relatively slow. And uh, I don't feel the need to roll us down unless we have something interesting to talk about, you know? So uh, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing these days. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to get into this agenda because there's some good stuff in here. Uh, but before we get started into that, we're going to open up every podcast the way we always do and just catch up on how everybody's doing. Gabe and Greg, how has been your last two weeks? Gabe, uh, good, man. Uh, Greg, did you want to start? or No, you start. I said you go first. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, man, my, my week's been all right. I made some moves, made some changes. I bought my dream car the other week, so that's pretty fun. Um, <laughs> other than that, man, it's just been a nice, slow quarantine. Yeah, right? Yeah. Same. Um, just been working, uh, chilling inside, practicing the distancing protocol, six mm-hmm. feet. You know what I'm saying? And um, 
yeah, just trying to get by, waiting until this whole thing gets lifted, and we can go back to our normal lives. I, th- I feel back like back to your normal lives, quote, quote unquote. <laughs> I feel like it's it's starting to slow down. Uh, I mean, I could be losing it. I could be wrong, but I feel like the panic is starting to slow down just a little bit, and people are going to starting to realize, well, okay, we could get back to life as normal soon enough. I you suppose. know, we, we say that as. Well, Greg and I are computer scientists, and you are a package scientist, right? So there's only so much information that we have kind of available to say that because Mm -hmm. we're not doctors at the end of the day. We're not pandemic Mm -hmm. experts. But yeah, it does seem like people are like, well, as you know, we're still taking precautions, but, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the panic shelter, we can exit it. Yeah, for sure. And which is a good thing because uh, I don't know about you guys. It's been really depressing the last like month and a half or so of just all this nonsense of, you know, with everything going on and it just gets depressing. That's why I, like, I stopped listening to the news. I stopped following stuff because it's all the same yeah. at the end of the day, you know? So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the intro. So let's go ahead and get to this notes. Who put this I on put here? I put this on here. Um, okay. So I was actually at Aldi about an hour ago, which is like this strange feeling. Cause it is beautiful. I had my like Devil Wears Prada tank top on foreshadowing mm. for a future topic. Mm. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I wore that tank top for this topic, but uh, I was at Aldi and I had to wait outside because there's like a like a line, I guess, mm-hmm. now to like get in. Yeah, it was just strange enough, right? And I had like my face mask on, and I was like, man, I feel like a warp tour hooligan again. But <laughs> I, uh, I I kind of wanted to toss this out there because I'm kind of curious to see what everybody's favorite fruits are, just kind of out of like sheer curiosity. So I did like a let's just talk about our top five favorite fruits. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm putting kiwi. At the top oh, of ki- I totally forgot about kiwis. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, kiwis go up top for sure. I love, I love me some kiwis. Kiwis are good. Kiwis are definitely good. Yeah, I feel like they're not as readily available as the other fruit, but they are very, very good. They're very, I don't want to say like seasonal because I feel like they're still readily like available to an extent, but they're definitely like a good summer fruit. You know what I mean? For sure, for sure. Greg, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go basic and say blueberries are up there. Mm. Right? Blueberries are tight. They're... <laughs> They're they're ba- well, you know that's actually the topic. That's the reason why I put these on here because I packed a little Tupperware thing full of blueberries, like two cups of blueberries. And I was eating them. I was like, damn, like these bitches is underrated. You know what I mean? I think I feel like they're overall like you can do anything with them. Yeah, like, you I was, can put them in yeah. protein shakes. You can put them in like macaroni and like ice cream. Make, yeah, ice cream, all that stuff. Like they're like they're super versatile. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, we're we're actually making like blueberry pastries right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I like the orange. Can't go wrong with the orange, obviously. Excellent uh, choice. Especially the big ones, you know? Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's an inside joke. Uh, why, why that orange so big, though? Yeah. Yeah, that's an inside joke. Uh, and obviously, I don't want to bore the people with the podcast, but know that a picture of a very large orange had me, Greg, and Gabe giggling for like hours on end. So uh, we're not going to get into it because it's stupid. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, the orange F- is a little. Fun little side story. My parents were telling me that, um, cause you know, like 50s, 60s, 70s Poland was like a weird place and a weird time to be. But okay. like my mom and dad were telling me that like they would get oranges for Christmas cause that wasn't like a fruit that like you could just go out and get. That was like a specialty thing. So that was like one of their like Christmas gifts for a very long time. They would just get oranges. Soviet That's cool. era. Soviet yeah. era Poland fucking wildin'. So Soviet era Europe was just wild, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Adriana made uh, orange bars this week, guys, and she fucking knocked it out of the park with those bad boys. Good copy. Uh, yeah, there's an orange bar. It's like, a, you know, like how they have like lemon bars where it's just like a, I don't even know, like a, like a filling on top of like, a, I don't even know how to explain it, Gabe. <laughs> um, you know, like a, like a, like a lemon bar. Um, 
you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's like a lemon bar, but it's an orange. <laughs> but it's an orange instead, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she, yeah, it's just good. It's good stuff. Just trust me, it's good. All right. All right uh, so there's that. The avocado is technically a fruit, so got to put that on the list, right? So what are you at now? Four. You I had think- kiwis. Kiwis, oranges, oranges yeah. avocado, avocados. So you had three. I'm at Greg, three. Greg, what are you, what are your just off the top of your head? Uh, I had blueberries, but uh-huh. I definitely like the pomegranate. Ooh, Ooh. Okay. pomegranate's the, tight. The the little I don't know, those seeds, like the little little seeds, are pretty decent. Um, banana for sure because they're easy and you can just kind of like take them anywhere. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Portability, right? You can't carry around a pineapple with you. Well, I did for a while. That was like a running joke, but <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, um, shit, dog. I can't even like name them right off the top. Probably strawberries, because again, mm-hmm. easy. And mm-hmm. yeah. I don't even know what the last one would be. Quality. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna put some. I'm gonna put some weird out there. I'm, I'm gonna say dragon fruit because I actually had a dragon fruit. It was pretty decent. Yeah, was they're it? good. They're good. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I think. Well, my number one favorite fruit of all time is the plum. I love the plum. Really? I was. Yeah, I love plums. I fucking love them. Hmm. Um, I would. Uh, at my previous place of employment, one of my full time soups brought in like a big ass bag of plums because he went picking for the weekend, right? Because that's hmm. like a thing Polish people do, I guess, right? Yeah. And um, and he's like, yeah, help, help you help yourselves because we have like four or five buckets at the house. So I brought these like for you guys. And so everybody had one out of like kindness and stuff. Mm-hmm. I ate the rest of the bag. <laughs> I had, like <laughs> I had like 18 plums that day. And he's like, holy shit, like you guys did a good job. And everybody's like, I like, I only had one. And then meanwhile, Gabe's over here like more plum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's my number one. I love those things. I can eat them all day. They're super good. Super awesome. Blueberries is my number two. We kind of talked about it. Super versatile basic i mean it is like the quintessential berry you know what mm-hmm. i mean in my mm-hmm. opinion um raspberries also banging that's mm-hmm. my number three mangoes is number four and then like blackberry is number five okay uh for, current for Cur- my current's good man but I, I like the juice better than the fruit you know what i mean oh, yeah okay. okay my fourth spot is a grape uh my fifth spot is a mango so yeah mango's a good good choice. no no fuck it pineapple pineapple's five fuck that I, I put pineapple up higher, but it's such a pain in the ass to, like, work with. You know what I mean? That, and you can't have too much of it because you're literally, the inside of your mouth will turn into fucking raw flesh. Yeah, we talk so. about how it's the most metal fucking mm-hmm. fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually been incorporating more pineapple into, like, my cooking, so that's fun. But, Greg, I think you have... No, no, I think that's everybody's top five. All right. Yep. yep that cool is beans. it. All right, let's, let's go. Some, uh, movies, TVs, and book. Absolutely. Right so... I don't know if you guys how how uh, closely you guys have been following this, but the Last Dance is basically the Michael Jordan documentary, right? I'm sure you guys are have heard of it. I'm sure at least, right? No, yes, I no, I, really, I haven't oh, heard okay. of it. No. All right, so basically, it was it's all footage from Michael Jordan's last year uh, with the Chicago Bulls, and basically, it's been it was just him, them following him around, and as the team was coming apart because of management and ownership, kind of believing that they didn't need. <laughs> they didn't need these guys to continue to be a, dom- a dominant franchise and they didn't need the coach and all that other stuff. So it's basically it's a behind the scenes look as things fell apart with the Chicago Bulls dynasty of the nineties. And it's a very interesting look. And um, I believe that Michael Jordan is as, is as close as a human being's ever gotten to becoming a God. And uh, it's pretty ridiculous. You just hit listening to him talk about 
um, how competitive he is and kind of how his mindset works. The guy was kind of a serial killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? The guy was kind of out of his mind when it comes to how competitive he was and uh, how much, how he was not okay with failure like in any way. And I was just wondering if you guys ever – if you guys can name anybody else that you kind of could put in that same category who was just built differently than everybody else when it comes to a certain you know area of expertise or something like that. Um, well, you know, uh, we, we stand Will Putney on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. He's got the Midas touch. So off the top of my head, him, I'm sure I can think of a few others. It might take some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause some, cause some humans are just built differently, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's some that pe- brain chemistry, man. It's not, yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just like a weird thing. Like doesn't matter how great you are, how much you practice basketball, you'll never be as good as Michael Jordan, right? Because it was something untangible about the man that, uh, you just can't replicate. I so, feel like okay. you could definitely put Birdman in a league of his own and like uh like Rodney. Like they're definitely like god tier skaters. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like yeah, stuff like that. Like there's just people who are just built differently. Like Brock Lesnar, like <laughs> sure, like there's there's a lot of skill there, but there's also this level level of genetic freakness that you just can't replicate, you know? <laughs> he's he's just like built differently. Yeah, people are just built like Ronda Rousey. Like I, she, she's built differently than the rest of us. You know, it's just it's just a weird thing. And uh, yeah, that's just something that I've been following because uh, it happens every Sunday. So they've been releasing multiple parts of it. And it's very interesting. Even if you're vaguely interested in basketball, which I am, I would definitely recommend it um, because the guy was just a stone cold killer. It was just it's just the weirdest thing in the world to hear him talk about like his his career and things like that because he's got him, you know, interviewing fr- from today's perspective of how he saw it happen, how he saw it unravel and stuff like that. I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it was worth noting. So that is that. Happy, let's talk some Bumblebee. Is this what I think it is? It is. Yeah, so um obviously it's the like it's the most recent Transformer movie, right? It was Bumblebee, all right? Uh starring Harry Steinfeld, I believe is her her name. Uh and um because my wife has been going through the whole entire franchise and I told right. her I told her basically everything after two is just trash. And even two to a certain extent was pretty bad too. Uh but um we so we sat down and watched Bumblebee and this movie did not suck at all. It was actually very, very good. I put it it might be the best Transformer movie we've had. Honestly. Better than the but, animated ones. Well, I mean that's in a different kind of category. But I, but they actually have some callbacks to that stuff. Um, like at the opening of the film, they actually open up on Cybertron before it fell apart, right? And the Transformers looked like they did from the 80s cartoon, actually, like as far as design. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I told Adriana, I'm like, if they wanted to, they could just do a movie based on that, just based on the Battle of the Wars on Cybertron and uh, kind of see how everything fell apart because it looked really, really good and really, really cool. Uh, but usually the weak parts of these Transformer movies are the human aspect of it, right? You know, because it's usually cheeseball writing and it's not very good. The plot's very convoluted. How many times are we going to have this magical item that's going to destroy mankind if it ends up in the wrong hands and all that stuff, you know? It's basically the plot for every single Transformer movie up to this point. But Bumblebee was a little bit different, actually. Um, there was actually some really good uh, moments, a lot of good character moments, especially with the humans. And... um I would put it up there as the top Transformer movie of the live-action ones, uh, even better than the first one because I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. And um, Harry, uh, Haley Steinfeld did an excellent job. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, she was in The Edge of Seventeen. I think she was also in True Grit. Um, she's really, really, really fucking talented. And um, 
Yeah, there's great John Cena's in it, so in case you need, need a little bit of cheese, he's there for that. Do you get to see him at all? Uh, no, I was telling Adriana, I'm like, I don't know who's shooting that gun, but the thing is floating. And uh, <laughs> she, she she kept on like, giving me this look because she wanted to kill me. But it was, it's easily the best Transformer movie. I would give it a B plus. honestly. Uh, it was a lot of fun. The, obviously, the action moments were fucking fantastic. And um, did a pretty good job of explaining why Bumblebee ended up where he was by the first Transformer movie. So, and also shows him, shows us how he lost his, uh, he lost his speaking ability as well. And who taught him how to speak to the radio and things like that. So, uh, yeah, excellent film. I would definitely check it out. Easily the best Transformer movie. And if you haven't, you know, take a look. Give it a chance. Cool beans, cool beans. Have you guys heard anything about, uh, Capone, which is a film coming out in a few weeks? Negative. Nope. Uh, so I, I didn't either, but this is apparently the initial release is June 11th from what I saw in Russia, which is kind of a weird one. I don't know if it's going to be delayed for the U.S. or not, but we're going to have Tom Hardy as Al Capone. Oh, I think I did hear that. I, you know, I saw po- posters and stuff in passing, but I never like, I think I saw like a full blown, I want to say trailer or like a theatrical poster, something this week. And I was like, oh, I should slap this on here. Hmm. But yeah, it's rated R. I mean, it's pretty much everything you'd expect from like a Capone film. I don't know how much of this is going to be dramatized and how much of this is going to be super accurate, but Tom Hardy definitely looks the part. And Interesting. Yeah, man. E- even the hairline, you know what I mean? Like it's down to a point. And then um, curiously enough, somebody I know uh, visited the Capone grave this week. So I was like, well, you know, that lines up pretty nicely. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I think I did hear something about this. I, I didn't know it was coming out so soon, though. Yeah, June 11th looks like the initial release date, at least in Russia. Like I said, I don't know what the plan is in the USA. Maybe it'll just be like a Netflix release, but Mm. we will see. Interesting, yeah. That's not a bad casting choice. I think, uh, you know, I I love Tom Hardy, so I think he'd be good in that role. Tom Hardy? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of weird that uh, there's no, like, universally, like, this is the Capone film. You know what I mean? Considering that he was, like, such a prolific gangster. Didn't the Untouchables touch on Capone, or was or am I thinking wrong about that? I could be wrong. I have no idea. It's been decades. Since, well, decades. I guess how many decades have you been on this earth, right? But it's yeah. been a while since I've seen that film. But you know, but like you'd think that like the most infamous gangster of all time, Al Capone, right? You'd think that he'd have like this is the Al Capone movie you want to watch because I'm sure there's like a like at least half a dozen out there on the topic, right? Probably, yeah. But you'd yeah. think that like Scorsese would have like been like, no, this is the one you want to watch, or like, you know what I mean, like all these greats. But oh well, yeah, yeah. I can see that. That's interesting. All right, let's keep it moving. Succession. This is a TV show that's on HBO. Uh, have you guys heard of it at all? No, I have not. All right, so uh, this is a show about basically a Disney esque company, right? Uh, ran family ran. And basically, the father is getting sick, right? He's the CEO of the company. He's running the company. He's getting sick. And uh, basically, his children are fighting for power, right? Because obviously, he's going to have to pass it down to somebody. Uh, the heir apparent uh, was told that he was not going to be him. So there's basically this internal struggle among this, amongst this family about who's going to be running this company. Uh, Will Farrell, executive producer this. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting because it's actually marketed it as a black comedy and there are funny moments, but I don't really get that at all. I don't really get the black comedy aspect of it. I find, I find it incredibly serious. I don't know. I could be wrong, uh, but I would definitely recommend this. Like I said, I think it's on its second season now. Uh, HBO, I think it just got renewed for th- the third. 
and obviously we don't know when that's going to be coming out. But uh, there's some really good moments in here, and uh, you, you could tell obviously it's a dysfunctional family, right? So um, you know everybody's kind of working for the for behind each other's backs, trying to grasp for power, essentially. So um, I would definitely recommend this. Again, it's on HBO, um, and it's very, very, very fucking good. So please check it out. Uh, me and the wife are going to be starting season two today, probably after this podcast gets off air. So please check it out, guys. Honestly, I think everybody, the, the two of you guys, will enjoy this. It's very, very good. Good. Yeah. Copy. Hercules uh, is getting a live-action Disney film. Mm-hmm. What are our thoughts on this? Greg, what are your thoughts? Um, like, I'm assuming this is going to be spanning from, like, like the cartoon, right? Like Hercules? One would think, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it would be refreshing, I mean, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's not really that many, I guess there are a decent, a good chunk of live action. Films. A load of Hercules yeah. movies. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's some, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know when the last Hercules film came out, but. Was it The Rock I'm, Hercules? He was. I remember the uh, the thing with the Nimian lion that he was wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if they're gonna do a live action, it's like, why not? I mean, come back with it. Maybe it needs like a revival. I mean, I guess there there have been a good chunk of superhero movies already here and there. So it's like, <laughs> fuck it, Hercules is a superhero now. I guess. So, um, I am not. I actually, I'm not. I don't. I don't really totally hate this. I know you. I know you guys probably gonna have a comment on it or two, but um. I think it's one of the other outside of Mulan because we talked about that how it kind of lends itself to kind of a live action adaptation. I think it really depends on who plays Hercules. But like the the more important thing is that the Russo brothers are behind us, the same guys who did Endgame and all that. So I think that oh great, so we're gonna get thirty Hercules <laughs> oh my movies. God. That's not their that's not their fault, Gabe. You know it. Uh, so I'm not totally against this. I think it'd be interesting. Uh, I'm still waiting to see Mulan. I'm sure that's dropping soon to the Disney Plus. I'd imagine. Nobody really knows what's going to happen with that, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, I'm very intrigued on what route are they going to take, how seriously they're going to take the story. Because when you cut, when you talk about like the the gods and stuff, um, the Greek stuff, I think it gets. I don't think there's a whole lot of room to kind of be playful and fun, <laughs> you know, because of how dark Zeus is a horny bastard. Yeah, how dark those stories are. Yeah, um, like actually, so I'm kind of curious on what tone they'll choose. Uh, with this little project of theirs. And uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Gabe, what do you think? Boy, um, <laughs> I, I'm not for this movie at all. First of all, Hercules is like, I want to say like my third favorite all-time Disney movie. Um, and uh, why, 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 why? You know what I mean? I could maybe understand Mulan. Like, there's not another live-action Mulan film, right? That's true. With that yeah. specific name. But mm-hmm. how many, like, from the 70s until now, how many goddamn Hercules movies have we gotten? Probably a whole buttload. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's like, okay, Disney says let's make a live-action version of this film. But then what things can Disney possibly bring in to set this aside? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, at least with the whole Mulan thing, you have the name. Right, mm-hmm. but like with Hercules, like it, it's just going to be another live action Hercules film that's not going to be rated R. That doesn't have totally wild like over the top blood and gore and stuff. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, I can see that perspective too. I think that's, that's my like, thing, man. For sure. I mean, I think there's def- there's definitely something to 
something to be curious about because, like I said, they have to pick a tone, right? They have to pick something to do. Um, they can't just rehash the the old, the exact old Hercules formula because you know it was a cartoon, and it, when you try to do that, it doesn't translate well to live action. So you here's to- a better idea for what they should do with this property, in my opinion, is that there's so much things and stories and mythos around Hercules as a character himself. Why not make a show out of it? Why not drop like 30, 40 minute episodes and have like a, like a 12 episode season? You know what I mean? And maybe yeah. develop Hercules as a character more. Cause there's a lot of stuff you got to cover that the 96, 97 movie did in like a three minute montage. You yeah. know what I mean? That's Why good not point, do actually. it like that? Because there, there is a good chunk of stuff behind Hercules as a character. He's one of the most developed characters in Greek mythos. Mm-hmm. Why not run with it? Why, you know, like why make a two hour movie out of it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, have it be like the Mandalorian where, yeah, we're, we're dropping an episode this Friday. You like tune in for like the new Hercules thing. And then if you do want to play into like the, the, mm-hmm. I guess the humor aspect of Hercules, have, um, have Jesse Eisenberg, like before Hercules gets swole. Like you remember like skinny Herc, skinny Herc? Yeah. <laughs> have like Jesse Eisenberg do a very sassy, like nerdy, like, I don't want to like do farm work. I, you know, fuck this, fuck that type of stuff. And then have, I don't know, fucking when he gets big and swollen shit, like just put like a meat suit on. Or, have, <laughs> no, you, you can't do that dramatic. You can't go from Eisenberg to the rock, but you know what I mean? Like play into the humor a bit. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess added onto the list of things that Disney's going to be live actioning, <laughs> I guess, right? And uh, I guess we'll have to see what's next on the card. How much do they have left? They can't have that many that many properties left, right? Uh, I'm sure they have a good stuff, a good chunk of stuff because they're just going through like our wave of Disney. You know what I mean? They're going through films that we grew up on, like Mulan, Hercules, Lion King, stuff like that. They haven't touched like a lot of the shit from the eighties and beforehand. You know what I mean? So there's a whole trove of untouched stuff here, essentially. Well, the, they did Aladdin already, right? Sure. Yeah. So but that, again, that was like our, our, our wave, you know, like nineties kids to early two thousands. Well, I mean, that was the eighties though. I mean, the, Aladdin well, came out in the eighties. What year did it come out? Aladdin Eight, come out. 88 or something like that, I think. 87, something like that. But did you or did you not grow up on Aladdin? I mean, yeah, I grew up on all the Disney properties though. That's not, that's, <laughs> that doesn't mean nothing. Uh, same thing with, uh, Little Mermaid. They got that coming out soon enough, I'm sure. That was also in the eighties. Um, so waiting I mean, on a live action 101 Dalmatians. I, um, yeah, that that's that's something. Maybe Emperor's New Groove. Do that. That'd be fun. Oh man, uh, no, don't do <laughs> that. That would ruin it. The cartoon makes like the cartoonish like game makes it. Me We're gonna it, have a uh, CGI the llama. What's this dude? Me, uh, Adam Circus or Andy Circus? Like <laughs> Patrick Warburton, same dude who voices him. Have you yeah. seen? Have you seen Patrick Warburton? Is he like the guy that he, he looks like Kronk. Okay, he's one. Of, he's like that actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck it. Um, me and Adrian were watching. We we turned it on the other day because it's been a while since we've seen the Emperor's New Groove. Severely underrated. Fucking hilarious. Awesome so, film. Why do they even have that lever? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! So good. All right, so that's our opinions. I think we have actually some like three very different perspectives on that. Did not anticipate that happening. Um, but yeah. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on Hercules moving forward. Now let's go ahead and slide over to the gaming category. Let's talk about the Mick Gordon drama with. Uh, Doom. All right. So 
Uh, we we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in the week, but uh, Mick Gordon is saying that he does not plan on working with the the team at Doom any the team who's behind Doom anymore moving forward due to the fact that I guess some of the marketing guys were interfering with his mix and interfering with how the music works in the game and how they're going to have the ga- the music be presented in the game. So he said it is not likely that he will be coming back to do a Doom 3 as an example. And I wanted your guys' opinion on it. Well, I think Mick Gordon is like a, a good cornerstone of what Doom has become currently. Like it's this, it, it's essentially a power fantasy. And part of what makes it magical is the soundtrack behind it. And we talked at length about like the algorithm driving the music and, and the masterful production. And we literally said like this dude took a chainsaw ran the noise through a synthesizer and that got put in the fucking soundtrack. You know what so I mean? So sick. <laughs> it's like, that's metal as fuck. Yeah. And I, you know, like, I, I don't want to be like super biased on this part because I, I get it. You know, maybe as an advertising guy, you did have to tweak it, but we don't know to what extent that they were fucking with his stuff with, you know what I mean? If yeah. they were like, let's cut out the snippet and like speed it up one and a half times to fit in this commercial. Well, that's one thing. But if they're like fully like deconstructing his mixes and like, like trying to put different production values over it and stuff, then, then yeah, I'm totally with Mick on this one. It's a very like fine line here. Like I want to be like Mick Gordon knows what he's doing. Cause he clearly does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no doubt to that, but it's like, we don't know to what extent, to what severity they, they diminished the name and the, the, the soundtrack really. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd love to tell you that like, you know, I'm pro Mick Gordon, like don't touch his shit because he is, what makes a good chunk of modern doom doom right there's no doubts to that yeah but we also don't know what who what and how it was fucked with so i couldn't really give you like a like a bipartisan kind of view on this mm-hmm. yeah i'm in the same boat as gabe i mean i i would need more of a backstory as to why he's just like you know tr- gonna leave and not work on like doom 3 and whatnot but if it ends up happening then yeah it's gonna I don't think it's going to be, like, a giant, you know, downfall, because Doom's still good from a gameplay perspective. It's just that they'd have to have someone else match that level of music, because that music is kind of what makes the... It's kind of what makes the game, at least for me, because Mm -hmm. when I'm killing demons, obviously you want a kick-ass soundtrack to go along with it. It's like peanut butter and jelly. For sure. Um, My stance is... <clears throat> Mick's a genius, <laughs> and you let Mick do what Mick wants to do. Um, I think one of the because <clears throat> Greg's right, it felt fantastic. The game felt good, right? That's what everybody says. <clears throat> you know, oh, they, he's they, dying. No, I'm good. I just had to clear my throat. Um, you know, Mick, Mick's a genius. He knows what he's doing. So, a large portion of the acclaim that the previous Doom game had, and even this one to a certain extent, was that the soundtrack was absolutely flawlessly composed and put together. And the moments where it needs to peak is the moment where the gameplay is also peaking as well. Like you talked, you talked about the algorithm and whatnot. Um, I don't understand from, I mean, maybe because I'm a music guy, I am a hundred percent in mixed camp. You do not fuck with the artist's, you know, look, cause he's the one that made the game what it is. Uh, because there's a lot of games where you can run around and destroy people. You know what I mean? The, the difference is the feel of the game and the large portion of the feel of the game has to do with the music. And that's just not even just this Doom, but the Dooms in the past, you know. Um, the, the original Doom soundtrack was pretty badass too, you know. And um, obviously they knew that 
the music was important because they paid top dollar and they knew it was important because they brought him back for the second time around. So right. I just think that they need to leave mixed work alone because it's not just this because he did Killer Instinct too and that was like if you're not if you're asking me to name like soundtracks recently like Killer Instinct and Doom are at the top of that list you know what I mean as far as how sick it is so I don't know I just wish they would leave his work alone and uh, somebody who has no right to be touching his work is interfering with how it sounds and how it looks and how it feels and I don't like it so uh, I'm that's with definitely got to be like a contractual clause somewhere. Like, hey, if I'm doing this for you, you do not fuck with my final product. Yes, you will own it, but this is the, you know, this is what I'm giving you. Don't touch it. Yeah, don't adjust it or anything like that. So I don't, I don't know, man. Um, I hope he comes back. I hope that's something that they could work out. Um, but from my, I understand he's pretty hell bent on not working with these guys again. So can we get a Will Putney for Doom Three for Doom 2022? Well, like, I, like, cause Doom, uh, cause he could obviously welcome produce music like a fucking boss but i don't know if he can compose at the same level of, as that why not I, just have a deathcore soundtrack for the doom game because because it's more than that though you know what i mean it's not just death it's not just a deathcore sound it's very you know there's a lot of synthesizers in there there's a lot of kind of depth and it's not just death deathcore style you know riffs and stuff like here's that. what i want you to that. picture right every okay. band that putney has produced for he calls into the studio and everybody does like a track or two for the for the new doom game yeah, but then how like, wild would that be? It it would be really cool, but at the same time, then why bother? Why don't you just uh have no sound at all and you fucking pull up your own playlist? You know, I don't know, man. There's just something. There's something about it that doesn't sit well with me. And like I said, hopefully they work this out and uh, we don't have to worry about it with with Doom Three. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Good copy, good copy. Let's talk uh, Predator Hunting Ground because Jake wouldn't shut up about it. Okay, <laughs> so Predator Hunting Ground. Obviously, uh, we've talked about this previously. How it is the asymmetrical game where. It is the Predator versus a group of soldiers, and yeah, last man standing, right, kind of situation. Very similar to the other asymmetrical games that exist, uh, Dead by Daylight, Friday the 13th, etc., etc., except you get to be the fucking Predator, which is automatically uh, a plus for me. And uh, I haven't played it yet. I actually do plan on getting it, but I do like the fact that it gives you other things to do other than to wait to be killed, <laughs> you know, other than to wait for it to get you picked off. They give you, like, objectives in the game and you have to it applies pressure to the predator because if you the the soldier team gets done with the objective uh, you know within a certain time period it actually ends the game and the, the soldiers win so uh it applies pressures to both sides you know they have to get the job done and it, i'm sure it definitely speeds up the gameplay a little bit but i know uh since we have, none of us have played it, i just i know gabe said you, you think it'd be a good idea to have a general conversation about asymmetrical games and how we feel about them so greg what do you think about asymmetrical games do you like them dislike them um i guess it depends on what you at least for me if i'm playing an asymmetrical game it has to like what the universe that it's set in because mm -hmm. like you know, with Evolve, I did I did enjoy being like this giant freaking hulking beast, and then you know the whole sci-fi feeling and whatnot. But then like stuff like Dead by Daylight, it's just like okay, serial killers. It's it's whatever. Um, I think they're cool. I like having just one person being like this giant hulking force and has to take out like a squad. Um, and then it's all about team play on the other end because if one guy, you know, one guy just can't go off and like, oh, I'm gonna go lone wolf this because he's gonna get picked off easily. And not only that, but kind of you like it, in regards to that team play, you can also kind of like set traps and uh, play each other off, like play the predator off of one another. So you can like you know have one guy lead him on and revive a dude. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I I I I don't really I haven't really played a, like that many asymmetrical games, but watching gameplay is always fun, especially like you know you get that rush, like it's like oh god, like you know he's about to die. It's like you know you just start like getting yes. kind of excited about it. Especially for those horror-based ones where they got the fucking creature coming around the corner. You're like, oh, fuck! Yeah, you just shit your pants. And then not only that, but having that, like, power rush as Mm -hmm. being, like, the horror, like, the creature or, like, the main bad guy. You know, Mm because you have, like, a a good chunk of arsenal, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially with with this one, with Predator, like, you can go invisible. You got that, like, tri-beam cannon. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just, like, the, 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 what is it, the the Assassin's Creed-style blades. Yeah. You just shit on people. Absolutely. Um... I heard this is cross uh, cross platform with with PC guys, so maybe we will look into it. Gabe, what do you think? Um, you know me, man. I, I Greg makes a good point about the property, the IP itself, and what they do with it. Because Predator is probably one of the best examples up there with like Friday the Thirteenth, right? Easily mm-hmm. one of the better ones. Um, my whole thing is just the mechanics, dude. How they play out because it's very easy to to cater to one side. You know, if you get to be the killer. I feel like it's very easy to fuck up that ratio of, uh, hey, he's overpowered versus, you, you know, like there's a way to win and then there's just this power trip. And I feel like that ratio is easy to fuck up. And it's a very fine balance to to master to make both sides fun to play mm-hmm. is what I'm getting at. I haven't looked into this game at all. Um, I probably should just because it seems pretty cool. But We'll see when the time comes. It's it's all about the mechanics and the balancing act for me because you do want to make it hard when you're a human survivor, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to make it impossible. Correct. Absolutely. I think, I think with Predator, I mean, I know the, the game is called Predator Hunting Grounds, but if they add in, if they add in like the aliens in a later DLC hmm. or like have some sort of thing where it's like shit, like it's like aliens versus Predator versus humans, hmm. you know, I think that'd be kind of cool where it's like the squad of humans still has their objectives to complete, but they also have to you know, take on the alien and then the predator at the same time. And then they mm. kill the predator, you know, it's just it's like giant three-way war. He's saying words that I like, Gabe. <laughs> I mean, uh, just throw both parties in the pyramid from AVP one. You've got a great phenomenal game. Um, that being said, have we had like a truly successful multiplayer asymmetrical game? That's not, I would argue rainbow six is that to an extent, but not like purely asymmetrical, but like, have we had like a very quality, good example of this style of game, I guess. Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight would probably be the most popular yeah. version of that, yeah. Because Evolve took a bad shit. <laughs> and yeah. they stopped supporting it after, like, no time at all. Yeah. They yeah. went, oh, we're going free to play, and then caught. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. Uh, yeah, I think probably Dead by... Especially as far as, like, longevity... Dead by Daylight would probably be the best example. Because they're still they're still updating that game. They have fucking uh, Ghostface coming to it. Yeah. Um, you know, soon enough. I got the Michael Myers... Cause I had to when I bought it. Um, so yeah, I guess Dead by Daylight, but like I, I, I'm a firm believer cause Gabe said mechanics. Uh, it's fun. Dead by Daylight's a lot of fun, but I, I, if you're a survivor, it is so goddamn clunky. You know what I mean? It just doesn't feel great. Um, I just wish they would refine that a little bit, but, um, you know, not much we can do about that, but so far, I guess, yeah, Dead by Daylight would be the best example. I do plan on, I do plan on picking this up though. So I guess we'll get a review soon enough. I also I I don't know how the because uh, Resident Evil Three dropped with Resident Evil Resistance and I believe that's an asymmetrical one where mm. one person plays a Mister as Mister X and then there's a squad of four playing as survivors. I haven't played it, but and I don't know how like well it's doing, but that's like probably the most recent release of an asymmetrical game, as far as I know. Interesting, interesting. So like I said, soon enough I plan on having a review for this. I'm waiting for it to drop in price just a little bit because I think it's fifty and that's a little expensive for a multiplayer only game for me. So um, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But 
With that being said, we're going to go ahead and move on to this next topic. Now, I have not seen anything about this, which I'm extremely thankful for. But apparently, um, The Last of Us has had a person leak plot the entire information. story. Yeah, the entire story for the game. And um, <laughs> I guess for original, the original rumor was that it was a disgruntled employee who was who was owed back pay and was never given it. Decided to take it upon himself to leak the plot of the game. Uh, Sony and Naughty Dog have refuted that and saying that is not true. However, they have found the individual who was the one that's leaking it and they are planning on taking legal actions against them. Um, which is, I guess, part of the reason why they, I guess, pushed up The Last of Us release, uh, because it's so readily available on the internet now. I have done a pretty good job of staying away from this. Um, I haven't really gone on Twitter at all or anything. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how we feel about this. All I know is, is that this is incredibly disappointing. And if it was from the situation where maybe it was a disgruntled employee, I understand maybe being upset. You have the legal system to go through the right channels in order for you to obtain your money. You do not put, what is that, six years of hard work and throw it down the toilet because you were upset at the person in charge. You know, Because it wasn't just you. It was... A team of people that brought this game to life, and uh, now I guess it's being spoiled on the internet. Has anybody in here been spoiled at all? No. Um, <laughs> he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, the thing about leaks is that has anyone from Sony and Naughty Dog actually came up and like stepped in and said, "Yeah, like, well, I guess they wouldn't even say like, oh yeah, this is all true,' but." At least for me, I usually, I haven't heard about any of these leaks, but any leaks at all, I usually end up taking it with a grain of salt. So maybe they're true, maybe they're not. Like, maybe, like, it's 40% right. You, you you know, you never really know until you get the finished product. But them taking legal actions is kind of, I guess it kind of also speaks for itself. Because if they're already, like, you know, on this dude's ass, then yeah. he's, he's got to have something right. Yeah, so. that's that's the thing. Um because yeah, when when Di- when I was gonna say Disney, when when Naughty Dog and Sony talked about it, they didn't say anything about like, well, that's not even, what was released is not even true. They said we're gonna take legal action against this individual who who leaked this stuff. Um, yeah. So whoever did it was right, I'm assuming, and um, it's it's just incredibly disappointing because a game, especially with a game that is so storyline centric, and um, it's such a large portion of the game, and um, somebody's ruining it for people is really upsetting uh yeah anytime i've seen anybody talk about it on youtube i fucking clicked away because i'm not trying to have this game ruined for me right but um but there's also something to be said about the experience of you have to experience you have to put yourself in your seat and controlling these characters while these experience play out you know what i mean you can't just uh just read the story and be as full, as satisfied as you would have been if you were playing it you know you gotta work for it yeah yeah absolutely so hopefully um, you know, they, they put the fuck their fucking foot up this guy's ass and um hopefully he's Foreman style. Yeah, and hopefully he doesn't get a chance to work in the gaming industry ever again because they ain't right. I don't like it. And uh hopefully um when the last of us comes out in about a month from now, um, you know, I'll be able to play the game without having anything spoiled for me. Now with that being said, if I come across somebody on Twitter who tries to spoil it for me, I will fuck you up personally. I will knock on your door and beat the shit out of you. But, uh, <laughs> that's in that cool. order. Yeah. And, uh, so hopefully I could stay relatively pure when it comes to this. Cause anything that I hear the last of us, anything I'm getting the fuck and I'm not even reading it. I'm just clicking away. 
So uh, it's just a horrible thing. I, I don't like the situation. Knock on at the door all. last. What's yeah. up? Why would you knock on the door last after whipping somebody's ass? It's his calling card. Yeah, right. So they know. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really like the situation at all. It's it's, it's bad. I don't. I don't know. Cool beans. Uh, we got another Assassin's Creed on the way. It's called Valhalla, and I guess the trend now is Norse, Norse, Norse mythology. Yeah, wonder where that came from. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so yeah, they're doing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla now. I I posted, I think, uh, in our chat, Gabe, and on Facebook that it's been about ten years since I've been really, really excited for an Assassin's Creed game, and I think that changes as of this. So now the only th- complaint that I have about this release or the trailer release is that. We knew that this was coming, right? Uh, we knew that Valhalla was on its way. And um, basically, Ubisoft was like, oh, yeah, to check out tomorrow's trailer for Assassin's Creed, la, 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 la. And I kind of wish they would have been surprised. Have you guys seen the this this trailer for it? Yeah, and if I can just, like, I want to say something. It, 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 that trailer was definitely built for, like, the E3 reveal because mm-hmm. – when they first start playing it, you obviously don't know what the fuck the franchise is. And mm-hmm. then at that point, when the Hidden Blade comes out, that's when you know, oh shit, this is the new Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. You know, but because of the whole quarantine and everything, they obviously had to already say, hey, this is this is the new Assassin's Creed. Have at it. But that that whole trailer is definitely built as like an E3 like you know surprise reveal. Exactly. That that was my that was where I was going with that. Because uh, it was. I'm it, sorry. It, no, no, no. That's it's perfect because it was very clear. That it was gonna be, oh shit, oh no, and, you know, with the hidden blade uh, reveal uh, that it's the Assassin's Creed because there is no hint that it is an Assassin's Creed game until that very moment. Gabe, yeah. have you seen this? Gabe? Yes, I have seen it. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it looks really good. I mean, obviously, this is all you know CG. There's no uh, gameplay uh, to this, and uh, I guess recently the Assassin's Creed formula has changed quite a bit. So hopefully. It'll be a good time to check in, and um, hopefully it's good. Yeah. You know, I hope Ubisoft actually does well with this because uh, looking at this, you know, you obviously have Vikings versus knights, and yeah. then honestly, all you have to do is just pluck samurais in there, and you kind of already have four honor like right there. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. So merge the two franchises and call it a day. Yeah, right. DLC. Yeah, DLC, right? We're on DLC. The For Honor will just be the multiplayer aspect of the game. <laughs> Ubisoft had Samurai DLC. Oh, shit, we rewrote the game For Honor. Ah, <laughs> oh, hell. For Honor. About, hey, y'all think they'll be dumb enough to buy it twice? <laughs> Somebody will be. I don't know, bro. So, yeah, but the the reveal, yeah, I, I 100% agree with Greg. That was meant to be like an epic reveal moment. That's why I kind of wish they would have saved it for us, but... Uh, you know, it's best presented in the in the form of in front of people. You know, in a live setting. Obviously, like Greg said, you know that that's gone. So um, it's kind of sad, but overall, it looked really, really good. I'm really impressed. Um, I like the kind of tone that they picked with it. it. Looked good. So hopefully, Assassin's Creed Valhalla doesn't totally suck, and uh, we'll be able to play it, and it'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Next. All right, and I put this on here because I thought it was kind of interesting, and, you know, I love both games, and I'm kind of sad to see the, this happen. But late in April, towards the closing weeks, EA and DICE have stated that they will be no longer supporting Battlefield Five, and they will also not be supporting Star Wars Battlefront Two coming this summer. Now, they're already kind of done with Star Wars Battlefront Two because the Scarif update already launched. And then Battlefield 5, I believe, is getting an update in June, which, unfortunately, instead of doing a new chapter, new, like, 
like a completely different like new content launch. It's just going to be, I believe, one map, a couple new weapons, and I think a couple new gadgets that have been in the game, which really sucks. Um, I don't know how like deep you guys have been into the like the EA Star Wars or like Battlefield series at all, but yeah, this this one hit hit kind of hard. I don't know what, what like I don't know. Have you guys heard about this? Well, I know that you had mentioned it to us, and uh, yeah, I think um, it's kind of heartbreaking, you know. Um, I don't know, man, because these type of things, with the way that they have kind of got flagged immediately after release, and especially when it came to Star Wars, I think I fucking smacked around. And I feel like, I mean, tell you if I'm wrong, but I feel like nobody give a fuck about uh, Battlefield Five at all. <laughs> like, yeah. like it, it was totally like ignored. I think due to the fact of a lot of the backlash that battlefront got so uh you know i think battlefield paid the ultimate price for that did yeah. they have like a br2 that they try to come out with that didn't work yeah, out it's called mean... firestorm and yeah <laughs> i don't i haven't touched it i haven't played it but yeah so like it feels like if, yeah it feels like um everything that they tried to do with battlefield 5 just didn't work out so i, I kind of understand that um do we know if they're planning on starting development for Battlefield 6 or? Yeah, yeah, they, I believe they confirmed that it's coming in for 2021 and that's why they pulled a lot of people off. Well, that's why they can both of these projects. I think they're going to like surely focus on Battlefield 6, uh, moving forward. And also, uh, I obviously kind of like to poke around and on Reddit, but the repercussions of, uh, mainly honestly Battlefield 5 because Star Wars Battlefront 2, in my opinion, like, the thing that makes me sad is that, is because, yeah, it had a shitty launch, but towards the end, like, they got the ball rolling, like, they, like, the content updates were just phenomenal, they added in Grievous, Dooku, the Clone Wars, Geonosis, Arc Troopers, Clone Commandos, all, you know, the Droid Commandos, all, mm -hmm. all like, all this good shit, the only thing, the, 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 the cancellation of Battlefront 2 makes me more sad, because they, they obviously still had a lot more content they could add in, and a lot of the fans, like, you know, Ahsoka from the Clone Wars series, and, even though they just launched Scarif, uh, there's no director Krennic or uh, Jen Urso from the Rogue One movie, you know, which were the two, both the heroes on Scarif. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, rotating back to what I was saying, I think the repercussions, especially from Battlefield Five, has taken a toll because Dice has just opened up a lot of senior level positions. Mm -hmm. Ouch! <laughs> so heads are definitely rolling over at their offices. I mean, I, I I blame EA for that thing. I mean, I, it's funny how Dice is paying the price for it, but it's not wasn't exactly their call, you know, to yeah. add to add in those ugly these ugly practices that made the game uh, get the backlash that it got, you know, because we all know it's EA. Like, we're like nobody is confused about that. Uh, Dice has, been, has done its best to kind of cover up that bullshit practices that EA has forced upon them, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing nobody anybody can say to me. I am convinced that EA is the one behind root of all evil. Yeah, th those things. So um, I, I, it's, I find it ironic that Dice is the one that's getting the, the heads chopped, while EA's uh, executives are probably still uh, hanging out and, and they're suiting ties and shit. But yeah, those, well, it, those go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, because it's mainly like because like I said, it was mainly like the senior level, like the the heads up and what like you know the the, the whatever big wigs over at mm -hmm. Dice. Um, cause those are, kind of, I guess like, those are the guys that, you know, never really wanted to budge, um, you know, from EA's calls. Like, they're just like, oh, you know, whatever, I guess EA, whatever they say, we'll, we'll do this. You know, it's mainly like the developers that kind of had, you know, the passion to this because in the game files, at least for Battlefield 5, the, 
there was like Russian weapons and whatnot, and everybody was already speculating like, oh, Eastern Front, you know, and they never covered any of that. Like, mm-hmm. just canned it. Like, no Eastern Front, no D Day, none of that. You know, like you're gonna make a World War II game and not even focus on the, one of the biggest like turning tides of the war, mm-hmm. the Eastern Front, as well as D Day. And not only that, but they had French forces in the campaign and the show shot like LMG and whatnot. And it's not even a multiplayer. Same thing with like Americans versus Germans. Like it's only England, English forces versus German and Japanese forces versus American. Like there's no even like, there's no mm. mixing or anything. Like they just honestly, really, in my opinion, dropped the ball with this World War Two thing. And I'm really sad uh, to see it go because I feel like if they actually supported it longer, because I believe this is also like the the, the shortest supported battlefield to date now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could have really turned it around, especially with how they did with Battlefront 2. I mean, yeah, it could have took a little longer, but I don't know. We'll see what, what happens with Battlefield 6. I guess at this time I'll, I'll keep my wallet shut, you know? Yeah, and, no uh, kidding, right? <laughs> wait, wait until, you know, some gameplay, maybe some reviews, see what happens. I mean, if, I, think, I think, go ahead, sorry. I think EA's doing what they're best known for. They're going to let DICE go bankrupt and then buy them out completely. They're just going to cannibalize it like they did with Visceral Studios. Yeah. I mean, hey, <laughs> it is what they, it is, They have man. a pretty bad track record, so I'd imagine they're like, hey, well, the senior executives at DICE, like, you guys fucked up, blah, blah, blah. And everybody at DICE is like, but this is what you wanted. This was your senior executive call as our parent company. And so they're just going to let them fucking swirl around the toilet bowl, and then right before they hit that, that flush zone, they're going to be like, All right, we'll, we'll buy you guys out. But it's no longer DICE, it's just EA. Ugh. God damn it. Right, oh, man, they man. do that with Mercenary. I, I could see that happening, actually. That's, that's, that's exactly thing. what they did with Dead Space and Visceral Studios. Yeah. Visceral yeah. Games, I'm sorry. But regardless, like, they, there's a track record of this. This isn't new behavior. This is just their business plan, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think it's, inc- I, th- I find it funny that, the, that you, like, like Greg said, that they were able to kind of recoup, uh, Battlefront 2 a little bit, but Battlefield 5 was left to drown. I think it's interesting because we all know the reason why Battlefront 2 is the, was able to turn around is because Disney Disney like, money. Yep, Disney's like, you better fucking get this together or you're fucking, or we're taking away the rights for the games. You know that happened, right? We all know that this, they sat down and had a conversation with them. Be like, look, you don't get this together, we're going to fucking give it to Activision or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, we know that that's what happened. But meanwhile, their own property, you know, was left to drown. And that's sad. It's a sad, sad thing. I think yeah. that we should give up that Star Wars title exclusivity. And yeah, because like, uh, that was like, what, a five year ordeal originally? And then they extended it, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that, yeah. I, yeah. I it should just be like, if you want to make a Star Wars game, you come to Disney, you pitch your idea, and then you pay a licensing fee mm-hmm. to use the Star Wars name. And there has to be a guarantee for, like, you're going to put X amount of money into marketing. you got to have, like, monthly reviews with, like, some of our teams, like, video game teams and Star Wars executives. Like, you got to, like, keep balance and checks in place. But, like, don't give it a fucking EA. Like, you know, granted, Battlefront 2 was Battlefield's Battlefront. Jesus Christ, I'm getting my shit fucked up. Mm-hmm. But, like, it made a turnaround. Yes, mm-hmm. but you cannot excuse the shitty launch and the poor sales numbers initially mm-hmm. because EA wanted to get this game out and get, you know, mm-hmm. like, they're just in it for the short haul. But clearly Respawn knows what they're doing. They they brought in a fun spin on the Star Wars title and on this fucking, you know what I mean? Like, just, yeah. just give it up because the guys at EA are not in here for the Star Wars fans. They're in here for their clone trooper and rebellion wallets. Absolutely. 
No, you're right. And uh I remember when they announced that, they were like, Oh yeah, we're gonna give EA the the, the exclusive rights to do this and everybody's like, Why? Like <laughs> out of all of the the companies that you could give it to, you know, um, you choose EA, who is known for the shittiest practices, uh, you know, lowest effort games on the Madden FIFA, like what's like these are solo effort games and they only care about the the checkbook at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I would love to see somebody else get their hands on it and try it. Because like you said, Respawn, I think the only good, the, you know, with the, the Fallen Order, this is the only good or great, I guess, Star Wars game we've gotten out of these, out of the batches, you know what I mean, of this. And I think that's sad. Man, I, I don't know. I Maybe don't know. it wasn't given to EA. Maybe it was like a bidding thing. And EA has a shitload of money, so they're like, hey, well, we, we will literally outbid everybody else for this contract. I don't know. Well, I guess we don't know the details on that, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a sad thing. And uh, hopefully that they take uh, Battlefield 6 with new eyes and uh, try to make it something that people want to play. I wonder what um, era they're going to be going for. I, I, I want to put my input on this. I think they should stick with modern and or futuristic because, see, with World War II, you're, you're very limited because it already happened. Mm-hmm. You know, So you have to obviously... You know, there's only so much room for creativity. Yeah, there's only so much room for creativity. Unlike with modern and futuristic eras, like you can slap in all these weapons, you can write some janky story with you know X Y superpowers fighting each other, mm-hmm. and then you know you can obviously pick any maps of locations and just go at it and write some attachments down. Doesn't even matter. You can have some weird fucking supersonic heartbeat sensor that gives cardiac arrests to like you know <laughs> enemy soldiers whatever you know but it gives yeah it doesn't want to... you to know that they have that yet <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I think i think if they do like you know create a new one it, obviously in my opinion it has to be modern or uh futuristic maybe maybe vietnam maybe a, something with the cold war but the uh, cold war gone hot type of scenario but modern or, or futuristic at least to you know turn it around in my opinion I agree. I, th- I actually, I, I don't have anything else to add to that because I think that was perfectly summed up. <laughs> Here's an idea. How about they do like a Master Chief collection where when you queue up in multiplayer, you can get any of the games. So you'd put in like Battlefield 1, right? And you'd put in like Battlefield 5. And that's like the lobby you queue up into. Because mm. that's the thing with Master Chief. You can, you can specifically say, hey, I want to play like Halo 1 matchmaking. Or if you just queue up like a, like a Rumble Sack, you can get any of the games. Interesting perspective. That, I don't know. Be interesting. I think if they do do that, it would have to be with the older older battlefields, in my opinion, because Battlefield Three, all the way up, you know, it's a new one. It's not like they're not old. Like they're not old enough. I think 1942, 2142, Battlefield Vietnam, Battlefield Two would be perfect. Like you can call like some some like like the Battlefield War Chest collection or something. Hmm. Oh, just give Greg the money to use the name, <laughs> and then we'll we'll be good. Absolutely. Alrighty. So yeah, that was actually a, a pretty good conversation. I'm glad that you added that on there. All yeah. right. Gabe. Uh, yeah, since this is my favorite transition, let's talk music news and reviews. Uh, we got a pretty, pretty hefty agenda for this section here. Um, Jake, we doing the, the Devil Wars Proud review? We are. Okay. So we decided to do a career interview of one of our favorite bands on this podcast, uh, the Devil Wars Prada. Oh boy, where the fuck do we start with this band? Um, I, I guess I'll hand it over to you since this is like your thing, and then I'll, I'll comment where I see fit. We are going to open up with obviously the very start of all of this. All right. Um, obviously, the Devil Wars Prada, a band out of Ohio. Um, 
you know, came up with the scene with a variety of bands that were similar sounding and have subsequently completely have become one of the most reliable, uh, one of the most interesting bands in this genre of music. Um, and you know, let's give it everything we got. So obviously their first album is Dear Love, a beautiful discord. All right. It came out in 2006, which is incredible. 14 years. Yeah, which is incredible to believe. His birthday's yeah. coming up. Fun fact: June fourth. Yeah, and um, I don't even know how. I don't even know what to say about this album. All I know is that everything they personified, like the era of sloppy, sloppy jalopy metalcore, where it, it didn't even sound like they were actual songs. It sounded like bands jamming. You know what I mean? And kind of like, oh, putting it on, put that on tape. Like what we just did right there. That was nuts. Put it on tape. And, uh, just a wild kind of experience, uh, especially looking back at what, what they've become, you know, one of the most refined, sharp, you know, uh, smart, mature. yeah, mature, smart, uh, style of metalcore band. It's kind of funny to see where they began, where it's just basically kind of this crazy, immature, uh, wild kind of experience. And there's really not a whole lot to say about uh, a beautiful discord uh that you know that could i don't know I, I don't even know what i'm trying to say all i know is that dogs can grow beers all over and that, that's all that matters <laughs> i think that uh that each devil's proud album has something of value to it even mm -hmm. if that is like a good laugh because you know 2006 was very much the era of like what we'll call the myspace core stuff yeah. where a lot of these song titles names were like super long and egregious and like what if i can't check my myspace when we get there like this and that and I think some of the funnier ones come out of this album, like who speaks Spanish, colon quesadilla, or like Texas is South, <laughs> or, or like mo modify the pronunciation, right? If, if yeah. you look at it, it's not how it's fucking pronounced. But like, yeah, dogs grow beers all over. I think that what Beautiful Discord did was it was very accessible to like the weird in-between genre people where, you know, metalcore before it was metalcore, people were like, granted, Discord was on the heavier side of the shit coming out. And so I feel like it was a very good natural transition into, you know, fans that would later be into like deathcore and like mm -hmm. the dirty, grimy, nasty shit that was much harder than metalcore itself, at least base metalcore. You know what I mean? It was very much on the darker and heavier side, which mm -hmm. I do appreciate. But that's kind of all I got to say for, <laughs> for this because it is a beautiful, beautiful mess. Yeah, it's it's a car wreck of an album, but in a good way. It, it's like when you look back at photos from yourself from high school and your wife's like, you look terrible, but you like low-key still love that outfit. You're like, no, I look bitching. Like, keep your comments <laughs> to yourself. That's what this album is. You know what I mean? If you've been a fan <laughs> since 06, you probably still have feelings towards this album. <laughs> but like looking back from 2020, you're probably like, Jesus Christ, how did we get here? <laughs> hey, Greg, how, how deeply did you dive? Did you dive deep into this or is this going to be more of a me and Gabe thing out of curiosity? This is definitely going to be more of a you and Gabe thing. Um, the enough. only thing I have is the zombies. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll get there. All right. Good copy. So, 2007 yeah. saw the release of Plagues, August 21st, 2007, fun fact. Um, we open up with Goats on a Boat, so we're not quite departed from that, like, I'm 18, 19, let's make ridiculous song title names. But um, Plagues was actually when I discovered this band, because who doesn't know the song HTML Rules, dude, right? Correct, yes. Um, I think there's still a, a lot of fun, I should say. Yeah. In this kind of songwriting process where mm -hmm. they were 
kind of, I don't want to say riding off of the high of their previous album because it, it wasn't that fucking phenomenal. It didn't get them anywhere super starstruck, right? Yeah. yeah I think correct. what Plagues did was Plagues really laid the foundation for what was to come. And you do see a lot of kind of their roots uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, you do see a lot of what these future albums did well from maybe not the most obvious stuff in plagues, but when you sit down and listen to it in a good pair of headphones and you hear the kind of, I guess, production and kind of the, the musical values that this band produces, you see where it comes from. And I think that we really start to see guys like Mike and Chris and mm-hmm. Andy kind of slowly start to go back and say, let's refine kind of what we did here. Let's go back and give it a second take. Whereas, you know, uh, Discord is this essay that you submit the moment you finish it. Plagues mm. kind of has a, a rough draft and then maybe a revision to it. You know what I mean? And you slowly start to see the kind of um, the the Grandmaster vision slowly start to form. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. This is where they start to uh, show their musicianship. You know, this is where they start to show that, hey, Chris can actually play. It's not just sloppy riffs. It's technical. It's violent. Um, the drumming has been, was absolutely phenomenal. This, this, there's like some things, several things that you know you're going to get from a TDWP album. And that is, A, you know, Mike's going to give it everything he got. And you know, the riffage is going to be nice and you know, the drums are going to be on fire. Like that's how it works. Right. And, uh, this is where it starts. Um, there are some songs on here that did not age very well. Uh, there's definitely songs on here that are products that is a product of its time. Uh, this was back in the day where bands started to feature other artists on their stuff, you know, where they became much more common ground. Obviously, they have the Craig Owens track on here. Um, but yeah, like you said, they're not quite out of the clever title uh, thing or witty title, as they probably thought it was at the time. Uh, but this is where you start to see the riff, the riffage, right? The, this is where you start to see uh, their ability to write music that isn't just crazy, right? It starts to sharpen up a little bit here. And overall, I would say it's a, it's a fairly good album. Uh, there's definitely some songs on here that I look back on. As some of oh, my wait, hang, hang on. Let, let, let me let me guess what those are. HTML. Mm-mm. Hey John. That well, that one. Reptar. Sure. Reptar. Mm-hmm. And Scorpion Deathlock. Yep. <laughs> and then Nichols is money too, because that is the best song title I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, there's some good songs on here, and there's some songs that I love to see them play today, still. And uh, Plagues was. I, I would probably agree with you. I I knew of them back with Dear Love at a Beautiful Discord, but. Plagues is when I started to um, pay attention. Pay attention. Yep, that's that's the word I'm looking for. So, good with stuff. That- Let's get into my favorite Devil Wears Prada album with Roots Above Branches Below. Happy early birthday! Uh, it turns 11 tomorrow, which is insanity. Holy wow. shit! Uh, did we do a 10 year on this? I no, I don't think so. I I know you did. Didn't you go to the show? I thought I, I did go to the show. Um, with Roots Above Branches Below is um. Without a doubt, the album that made people nut up or shut up about mm. the Devil Wears Prada, it's kind of the album that propelled them. And I feel like this is a really good example of what happens when you sit down and you don't lose uh, full touch with where you came from, but you sat down and you said, hey, let's start making uh, songs that are serious. Let's start kind of paying more attention to who produces our albums, to <laughs> how this sounds like. And, yeah. Um and and I think this album exemplifies it, it is one of if four or five albums that I would say is like quintessential two thousand nine metalcore. Mm-hmm. Um it, it is just 
like one of the great cornerstones, one of the good things you look back on and see. And I feel like this album as a whole stands up phenomenally, even 11 years later. There's a couple of songs that you're probably like, oh, maybe we can skip over this. But as a album piece, as an entire ensemble of these songs berating your ears, these 11 tracks that just drop kick you in the fucking, you know, in the ear canal, I feel like it holds up really well. Those, they still play stuff like Danger, um, Des Moines, um, Assistant. I feel like those come up relatively often in Devil Wears Prada sets. Mm-hmm. But then stuff like Wapocalypse, it still bangs, you know what I mean? Even though it's like definitely like a like a deep cut, I'd say, for like more casual fans. Yeah, so I think this is the album that me and Gabe probably have the largest differing of opinion on. Uh, for me, uh, this is actually near the bottom of the spectrum for me. Uh, I can't, this is where Joey Sturgis, his production quality gets the most egregious. Um, this is where they start, where they released this album outside of the obvious bangers where I started to worry about them. Uh, because I felt like they were getting too pretty, too clean, right? Um, especially with how the vocals were produced. And, uh, it scared me at the time when it came out because I knew them as more of kind of the violent band and then they got really clean. And it's kind of scared me a little bit when it came out. Now, there are definitely songs on here that I enjoy, like Danger Wild Man makes my top 10 set, like top 10 songs on the set list if I had to choose, uh, as, as does Assistant. But I started to get scared here because I, Joey Sturgis has a way of making bands that have raw natural talent and making them sound like every other band that he produced during that time period. And I was um, not looking forward to what he was going to do with Devil Wears Prada. I guess it didn't, uh, it wasn't a total failure. Um, because obviously the songs are good for the most part. And outside of the production complaints that I have, um, uh, overall, it was a pretty good album. Devil Wears Prada is one of those bands that does not have a bad album. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> you know, good copies. Uh, Say what you will about the production and, and the style that they were going for at the time, but it's still a standout piece. You know what I mean? Like you can't go over a career or a discography without at least touching on the importance of Roots as an album. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as far as songwriting goes, they started to mature, right? Um, and it's, like I said, this is where the the funny the funny titles start to to go away, and um. Yeah, the, the balance is is definitely in favor of serious because you still have like assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I thought um, overall a solid a solid album uh, wasn't uh, didn't quite uh, what's the word I'm looking for didn't quite live up to the the scare, the level of scaredness I had for it at the time, and it was definitely a solid album, just not my favorite. Uh, and that ends that portion of their career, and this is where. Here, this at this moment is where they stopped kind of becoming one of those scene core bands and transitioned over to one of the most insane, insanely heavy, <laughs> um, well, most, I don't know, like most mature, well written songs that they came out with. And this, of course, is the Zombie EP, which dropped in 2010, a year after, uh, you know, Roots Below, Branches Below, kind of a kind of a situation. So. Let's talk about the zombie EP. Sure. On August 23rd, 2010, six madmen gathered in a room. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a concept EP that was really well done. It was over the top, brutal, visceral, and I would even say like musically gory to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Greg, what, what what are your thoughts, man? Because I made you sit down and listen to this for, for one of the episodes we did. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as Gabe stated, he made me sit down and listen to it. And this, I don't know if y'all kill me, but this was my introduction to The Devil Wears Paradas. And overall, the zombie EP um, definitely goes with the name. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> just listening over... Just listening over the whole EP, there's definitely, and I stated this on 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 the previous on the other podcast. There's definitely like this this like the theme of like the whole zombie theme is definitely in there. Uh, you obviously start off like you know badass, you know you know hella riffs, whatever you guys want to call it. This <laughs> um, is like heavy like you know type of music, and then it kind of like strings into like uh, this feeling of like hopelessness, you know, as it would in a zombie apocalypse. You know, mm-hmm. you're killing zombies, whatnot. Next thing you know, you lose a member. Of the team, blah, blah blah, zombies start overrunning you, and there's just like, there's just this feeling of hopelessness, like towards like the end of the EP, you know. And I mean, overall, I I I enjoyed it. Um, sometimes it still comes up, you know, in my car's playlist. But yeah, uh, thank 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 you, Gabe, for putting me on with this. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of layering in the production of this album. Um, uh, EP, my bad. But there, there's a noticeable difference with how much they were doing on a production level in this versus anything prior to it. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, first and foremost, it is a concept EP and is a very well executed one. And you hear it through like the gunshots in the songs, through the chainsaws, through this and that, through a lot of the riffage that comes out of like Ruby and the guys. It's like, what the fuck were you thinking during this process? Like, like how can you concentrate and distill madness to such a level that perfectly encapsulates? an entire genre's worth of like 40 or 50 years worth of movies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, this is when like the walking dead was like at its peak. Right. And when the album dropped, it was just the, one of the most violent experiences I've had. I remember being in class and they're like, Oh yeah, man, I, I came up on alternative press. Cause I was one of those guys who frequently checked on there and before so, they were shit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then I would click on the website and it's like, Oh, Devil Wears Prada releases heavy track. And I think the one, the first song that dropped was outnumbered. I'm like, okay, let me, let me list it out. I kind of, kind of had my head down to my laptop because I had laptops at school. So I had my head down and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like this is coming from a time, like I said, where I was kind of nervous about what they were going to do next. And I was kind of worried that they would go a little bit softer on us. And they just come out with swinging with one of the most merciless EPs I've ever heard. There is not a moment to breathe on the zombie EP. Um, it's just constant bombardment of beautiful music that just makes you want to fucking slap everybody around you. And, um, yeah, just like you, like Gabe said, with the, the kind of things that he sampled into the songs, it just gra- grabs the atmosphere of the, the theme and just makes you feel it makes you feel the hopelessness like greg said it just makes you feel like you're actually in a situation where your life is on the line and the potential um you know the potential result could be you being ripped apart by zombies and uh it's just the sickest thing they have some of the nastiest breakdowns in in their whole entire discography on this uh ep so um death throne oh not sorry death throne that's next but the zombie ep is something that uh i call it like the benchmark of the Devil Wears Prada in their career, where every everything they had done prior uh, became lesser to what I feel like they were going to become next, and uh, I was right. <laughs> so there's a lot of bands that do concept albums, mm-hmm. which is totally cool. But I feel like this is the the most easily like accessible and and understandable concept EP. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Out of all of those, because it's usually like one crazy big overarching thing. 
and then like Mike, Chris, and all the guys just said zombies. Let's let's write five songs about zombies, mm-hmm. and it just worked out beautifully. It's so simple, but there's so much to capture. Absolutely, and it's just a, a nasty, nasty little EP. Five songs of just nonsense. Uh, let's keep it moving. So next up is my favorite album of the whole discography. For that the record, is- one year and three weeks later was the difference between Throne and Zombies. So wow. like no time at all. Wow, that's crazy. What was the gap between uh, Roots Above and uh, Z- Zombie EP? What's the gap between that? Uh, Zombie was was August 23rd, 2010. And with Roots is May 4th, 2009. So okay. a year and okay. three months. Wow, that's that's crazy. And it's funny because that's when you turn the page and it's almost like they're a different band at this point. And it the gap Absolutely. wasn't really like wasn't really that long period of time where they went from kind of a scene core style bands to just one of the most legitimate big metalcore bands. Well, you uh, got to account for touring and stuff as well and they essentially had three almost back-to-back releases, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And uh this is where the Death, Death Throne is my favorite album by them. And uh, the just the production quality. Adam Duckowitz, Adam D, uh, who also did Kill, who's you know the guitar player and uh, producer for all the Kill Switch Engage albums, did this, and he really refined them. He he made them a mature band that um, even the neckbeards could love with this album because it's just a violent assault on on your sensibilities and it totally flips what you know about the Devil Wears Prada right on the top of your right on top of their head. And it's just the, the strangest thing because I, I had never seen a band evolve so quickly. And I remember seeing uh these Death Throne songs on, on the Warp Tour and it was just it's just a different feel in the air. Because you could look back to like two thousand nine Warp Tour when they played it and they were like wearing like the the neon t shirts, right? And the fucking uh you know the, the super skinny jeans. But by the next time you saw them after zombies, after Death Throne, they were wearing like flannels and fucking like, actually look like grown men. You know what I mean? It's like uh, their change, their physical change coincided with the change in the music. And Death Throne had some of the some of their best tracks. You know, you have uh, Born to Lose on there. You have the self-titled Death Throne, which I still stand by, should be their opening song for the rest of their career, is on there. Vengeance is on there. So many bangers, absolute bangers of uh, songs. Uh, and uh, if anybody asks me, hey, what albums would you recommend for a new metal metal person or new metalcore person? This is what I would turn on. I would be like, well, yeah, I listened to Death Thrones by the Devil Wars Prada. It's on my, near the top of my list of my fa- favorite albums of all time. And, um, yeah, I just love it. Gabe, what do you think? Deadcore is properly fun. There is definitely a, uh, noticeable, substantial change in the maturity sonically. I don't want to say lyrically because I feel like that was kind of always the precedent, at least with the past couple of releases. Uh, sonically, they took, I would say, uh, hardcore influences <laughs> and kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they reached around and I feel like they really sat down and re-listened to all the shit on their iPod on shuffle and said, I like this. I like that. And that influenced them through a musical writing process. I quite like this album. It's fun. I still stand my, by my point that this is grossly top heavy because uh, these, you know, these four songs, Dead Throne, Untitled Mammoth and Vengeance is like one of the best, like four sequential songs in any album ever and it it kind of trails off and we you know we come back around with like forever decay and shit like that but dead throne is what i would say is you you know you you hit it you hit the nail on the head it's when we see them kind of evolve because you could say zombie ep was fun and it was smart to an extent but at the end of the day it was still bloody uh viral and 
you know, like chaotic to an extent, mm-hmm. whereas Dead Throne kind of really sits down and refines what it means to be chaos and kind of controls it in a manner. You know what I mean? Yes, it, it, sir. It, it's like when you, I don't want to say like distilling the madness, but by all means, like I, I always like to say that a mosh pit is essentially controlled chaos, right? And at like a small venue mm-hmm. and this album, it perfectly exemplifies that. You know what I mean? And it, it does have one of my favorite all time Devil Wears Prada songs on here. Mammoth, you know, is a fucking phenomenal thing. Um, I guess that's all I really got to say about it. Cause we've talked about this thing at length. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Next up is actually something that you and I have never really discussed a whole lot as far as the Devil Wears Prada. And that is the black sheep of the catalog. And that is 818. Yeah. Right. 818 is what happens when you take, um, metalcore and you, you like make a baby with like industrial metal That's, and yeah. like gloomy stuff. It's not at all a bad album by any means it's very well done it's very well produced the instrumentality is there and the guys are it's foreshadowing what's to come because the devil wears prada have never truly been a stagnant band you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and they were always constantly involving and so i i get that this this album came out at a time when touring was essentially their life and so it does have a lot of darker themes Mm -hmm. and it does have a lot of strange morbid like mm-hmm. shadows to it, it yep. to an extent and you know stuff like gloom phenomenal song 818 mm-hmm. sailor's prayer uh phenomenal martyrs black and blue i mean y- you know these aren't bad songs by any stretch but what this album i think was lacking was a lot of the catchiness and a lot of the like the memorable riffs that we've known to love and appreciate from this band and so that's why it was kind of swept to the side I would agree with you. I feel like they probably listened to a lot of Nine Inch Nails before they recorded this. Um, I feel like they maybe, like you said, they kind of took away the riffs and wanted uh, the keys, you know, the kind of the atmospherical tones that they have to kind of be at the forefront of this particular album. And uh, I didn't hate it. I, I've never hated 818. I know a lot of the a lot of the pure purest metal heads didn't particularly like it. I thought it was just an interesting take. Uh, I thought after the last two releases prior, I thought it was a nice change of pace for them. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mind 18. Um, it's that, like I said, I, I consider it the black sheep kind of because it's really not like anything else that they've done. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely on the outside. They're always changing, but I think we could all kind of put it in a box for the most part. But 18 is just outside of that box, you know? And, um, yeah, it was just a very unique experience. And I, I going back and listening for this, I'm like, man, this, this was fun. Like it, it was a, it, like it was a fresh take on something that they, uh, have never really tried before. You know, they've never really experimented like that. And I think this is probably the biggest experimentation up to the most recent album, which we'll talk about shortly. But 818, a solid album. Uh, definitely near the bottom of, of the, the hierarchy, but definitely not a bad album at all. So. Cool beans. August 21st, 2015, we got another concept EP called the Space EP. Um, man, it, this band makes it really hard for people to choose a favorite EP. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause it's usually like, Oh, like here's like a B sides that we released. Um, or like, here's our first demo, but like this band, they have these two fucking EPs feuding at war. Mm-hmm. And so this whole concept thing was distilling alien as a movie, um, star Wars, every, any space fucking thing, any space movie theme calamity, whatever you want, it's in here. And we open mm-hmm. up with planet a, which is like the classic space exploration, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going to uncharted territories, the final frontier of space. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sp- space, ex- space exploration gone wrong. 
You know what I mean? It, it never it, goes right, to be fair. Yeah, it, it opened up as like setting you setting you on this kind of path where uh, you know there's a level of uncertainty, and the rest of the albums follow or the rest of the songs follow like what happened after everything went wrong and this person was stranded on their own. You know what I mean? And um, it just painted it painted the most beautiful picture. Uh, you and I uh, were on the we're doing this podcast when this EP dropped, and uh, I think unanimously. Yeah, one. Yeah. All our album was the year. Crazy. Yeah, you, unanimously it swept music release album, quote unquote, of the year, right? Where everybody in the room, me, you, my wife, my uncle, like unanimously swept the room. Uh, and I've been, uh, kind of absolutely in love with the theming. Um, and it's just one of my favorite pieces of music of all time. Like, it's just, it's just such a beautiful thing. Like, if you could turn it on, and look at the stars and feel it. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just a, a musically mature band. This is where I believe Chris left the band at this point. And uh, no, he didn't leave the band. Yeah, he did. He left the band at this point. And, uh, and we, there was like a level of uncertainty about what the band was going to do creatively because Chris was such an important part of that. This eased my, um, my heart because I was afraid of what they would sound like. And this just totally went a direction that showed a whole bunch of maturity. Um, and just well songwriting, great songwriting, you know, well, well crafted, well constructed songs. And aside uh, from the lyrical content and the, the sonic vibe to it, this is the best produced Devil Wears Prada album ever. And it, it has a lot to do with the themes and it has a lot to do with the way everything meshes together. Mm-hmm. But do yourself a favor if, if you don't, if you haven't listened to this EP on like really nice headphones yet, mm-hmm. do that tonight because this, you know, this is good on its own, but you throw on some hi-fi, and holy shit, this thing will transport you to another planet. Correct. Absolutely. I think I think we don't need to go any further, because this thing is like it, the piece of the resistance. You know what I mean? Like, this I, is the thing. I agree, 100%. With that, uh, next up, uh, well, because they had, obviously, they had South of the City and all that, but uh, next album, full length, was Transit Blues. October 7th, 2016. Um, this was an interesting album, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yep. Um, I don't even know where to start with it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, there's some good songs on here, for sure. Uh, overall, I wasn't particularly... I feel like this is where the only album of theirs that I felt it was difficult to relate to. Because a lot of the songs' concepts were about travel, right? Touring relentlessly, which is why it's called Transit Blues, right? Uh, and there's some things on here that normal people can't relate to. You know, um, you know, I, I, I work down the street from where I live. You know what I mean? I don't have that, that kind of, uh, dependence on the road or road life isn't like a huge part of my life. So I can't really relate to it. But I'm sure like if a truck driver or somebody like that were to listen to this, they would relate to it on a much deeper level. Uh, to me, it's just, it's just a collection of some pretty good songs, you know, um, Definitely different. Again, this is kind of carried in the same kind of vein as the Space EP. Maybe not so much in theming, but you know, the musicality, and uh, you know, uh, not nothing, no crazy riffage or anything like that. This is where the band kind of took a turn on that, where they stopped being more of a riff-centric band and became more about the atmosphere and ethos of it, kind of sorta. And um, not in a bad way, but it was just kind of an interesting album that I think you and I, uh, when it came out, we we're like, oh yeah, it's good. And that was kind of the last time we talked about it. You know, what do you think? Yeah, man, you, you kind of hit it on the head there. Um, this album, again, super top heavy. 
I, I feel like all the bangers minus one are just right at the front, like Praise Poison, Daughter, Worldwide, Lock and Load. And then the only other one that I really enjoy is To the Key of Evergreen. And mm-hmm. that one took some time to grow on me, to be fair. Um, this is uh, it's a very interesting piece. Like, there's nothing that I want to, like, rant or drag on. You know what I mean? Because there's really, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with this mm-hmm. as an album or musically anything wrong that I feel like they did. It's just a matter of maybe this isn't the album for me, or maybe this is something that I'll learn to appreciate with time Mm -hmm. or something like that. But at the moment, this is kind of, um, it's just another quality album, Mm -hmm. but it is not my favorite, nor it, nor is it towards the top of my favorites in this discography. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. All right. And obviously the last album, the most recent came out last year, 2019, the act, which we reviewed on this podcast when it came out, I think we could both say we thoroughly enjoyed this album. And uh, this is where I think you and I have determined that they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Um, that they have written, I think uh, you and I both agree that Chemical is probably one of their best written songs. And as Ever a band, period, yeah. Yeah. And as a band that has been around as long as they have up to this point, still being able to write out quality songs with depth, meaning, and uh, without really losing any steam at all, I think this is where uh, they have entered God tier on my on my kind of uh, my rankings. And um, it's just a great album. Just a great album. I think the act proves that this band and as a whole and as individuals has a lot of resilience and passion because it was, you know, it, when you look at bands like this that grew up in the scene core eras, I think it's very easy to call it quits after a certain point when you're, dirty grimy breakdowns just don't make money anymore right but mm-hmm. this this band has progressed from really a bunch of kids to grown ass men with visions and like this kind of sense of belonging like they're going music they're not going anywhere and we've talked about this a lot and this may seem silly because they've been doing this since 06 and it's now 2020 it's 14 years later right that they've been commercially producing albums for us but mm-hmm. you look at discord and you look at chemical and you wonder how the fuck you got, got from here. A to B, you know, <laughs> but you have to look at the releases along the way. And I think chemical is one of those things that you sit back and, and look back on and you're like, I see the steps. I see the progression mm-hmm. chemical as an album or the act, I should say as an album, right? It is, is truly beautiful and wonderful because you, you do have this nice dichotomy of pretty songs like chemical to shit like switchblade and like, please say no, where you have this balance of pretty to heavy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I dig it. And these guys, just like you said, they're not going anywhere. They're probably going to retire with the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just want to say as like a personal note, the album artwork for the act is definitely also a jump from most of their previous things. I think it's fucking awesome. I love this artwork. I think it's easily one of their best, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think when, remember when you and I saw it, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it looks like some, like some Scandinavian black metal album cover i'm like it absolutely the? does and we're like where, where is the uh where's the triangle you know what yeah. i mean because that's like that's been the running theme but yeah. the act um i think it serves as a nice cap off for this review because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you could say you know where this band's going but unless you're one of the five dudes left in the band mm-hmm. you don't you don't okay. and that's the beauty of it yep yep it is uh i think that's probably one of our more in-depth career reviews that we've ever done because there's just so much the cover you know <laughs> absolutely so, uh that was fun it was great looking back at the dead wars prada one of my favorite bands of all time and i don't imagine that changing anytime soon greg you ready to join the podcast again <laughs> uh, I've, I've been here 
All right, cool. I just wanted to make, just wanted to make sure. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about this next album review because we got a, a flurry of them. Cool beans. Uh, so the first one we're knocking out is a band called Motives, and they dropped an album called Death Throws. All these album reviews are like a little bit late, by the way. Yeah. But um, uh, y- you know when when Jake tells because this is another band he put me on with he, when he says go listen to this album you'll like it it automatically sets this weird precedent of like now I have expectations and now I'm expecting a lot but like honestly this album blew me out of the fucking water <laughs> holy shit i think you know granted money goes a long way in the the quality of your instruments the quality of your strings the types of producers and who you can get to make this album but i think that motives and especially like death throws as an album goes to show that if you truly are passionate and you truly want to make music, it will happen by, Mm. by cosmic forces, by willing it into existence, whatever the fuck you want to say. I don't know what their budget was by any means. I don't know Mm. that, you know, that, that they're trust fund kids. I don't know any of this. I just know that everybody in this band wanted to make this album and it turned out fucking phenomenal. This is a perfect example of, of an A album in my category. So there you go. There's my rating for it. It's an A, but I think there's a lot to be said about this style of music mm-hmm. where you have essentially people kind of, uh, you know, on their last straw at the end of their rope at this kind of hopelessness. But it, man, I got so much to say about this album. It, it, <laughs> I'll put it like this. The album sets you up for this story of this person, whether that be the lyricist, the vocalist, whoever in the band that, They've just had shit luck in, in, in most recent terms. And just everything has been piss poor and everything's been like going downhill. And there's a lot to say about sad music because I feel like we can all relate to an extent, but to have sad content like this and yet somehow make the guitars, the drums, the vocal inflections, shit like that still make you feel hopeful at the end of the day. That, that's what this style of music is all about. We've all been through some shit. You know, to an extent, but mm-hmm. but like hardcore, metalcore, this entire scene is about letting you know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, that there's always a way out. And this album is just everything it is to be a, about being a human. It is the human condition that shit's going to suck, shit's going to happen, but we're going to make it through and we're going to tough it out. And I love it. It's it's an A in my books. Uh, yeah, I figured you'd really like this. Gabe's a sucker for like, uh, like, like melodic hardcore that has pretty like guitar licks on top of fast paced kind of riffage. So <laughs> Gabe loves that stuff. And I knew that he was going to like it immediately. And I a hundred percent agree with your assessment. Gabe, guess where this band's from? Are they from Ohio? Yes, they are. <laughs> I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are from Ohio. And believe it or not, they only got like, just, I just checked Facebook. They actually only have about 9,000 likes on their page. So they're a much smaller band. And, um, I, I cannot recommend them anymore that I'm about to recommend them right now because I am I have to agree with you. This is an A on my list, and uh, yeah, you, you nailed you nailed the review perfectly. It's one of the those things, one of those moments, and you and I have talked about it in previous podcast history where you and I come across a band that is just like, why are they not bigger? You know what I mean? Why I don't understand. Like people need to hear this right now, and you just want to share everything that they have, and it's just beautifully written music. And, uh, you know, you hit on like the human condition and things like that about how these are things that everybody goes through. And also the most important message that I get from this is that, well, no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. You know what I mean? There are people who understand you, who want to understand you, 
and that uh, you live in a world where a lot of people aren't getting life uh, life the way that they want it. Uh, but you are not alone, and this is what music was built for, for uh, you know, for people to un- kind of understand each other. And um, maybe they don't have the exact same situation, but the feelings at the end of the day are all the same. And um, this is what the guys hit on, and it's one of the best albums I've heard all year. So it's probably. I want to say at my number one, but I gotta sit down and do like a like a review of what we've reviewed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. I, you know this this kind of brings to to mind like this weird thought like is this style just not commercially viable? Because like to the wind, you know we did that um retro review I guess, and we both really enjoyed it, and we said it, it hits on a lot of the same points that Motives does, but those guys weren't crazy big. You know what I mean? I, I feel like if we're talking melodic hardcore, Hundredth was probably one of the bigger brands. Mm-hmm. In, in in that kind of subgenre, but even then, they weren't that massive. You know what I mean? Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, they'd be like a good like opener for the band that you're gonna pay money to see. You know what I mean? So I just wonder if it's this particular style. But honestly, go go check this out. This is blew me out of the fucking water. Absolutely, check it out. Next, good stuff. Um, Greg actually listened to this. We got some thoughts. Uh, Jake, did you listen to the Dance Gavin Dance album? I did not. Cool beans. Uh, Greg, uh, let's kind of discuss this. So Dance Game and Dance dropped an album called Afterburner. Uh, I got some interesting thoughts. So Dance Game and Dance is another one of those bands that doesn't per se have a bad album in their discography. They have better ones. They have lesser ones. And everybody kind of sort of has their favorite DGD vocalist. Um, personally, I think this album is like a solid B. There's nothing about it that makes me rearrange my list of favorite DGD albums whatsoever, though. I think... What this is, is a collection of very good singles and then kind of padded by other Dance Game and Dance songs. Now, don't take that as like an insult or like a, like a downside because everything that they do, Will Swan, Tilly, and John Mess, all these guys in the band, it is still quality. It is a quality product at the end of the day. And there's no doubts about that. They're very meticulous about the writing and their production and shit like that. But that's just how I feel. It didn't have the same impact as self-title or instant gratification or artificial selection or mothership or any of those like highlight albums for me in my opinion yeah good stuff so talk to me how you felt about this album greg um i mean like you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one uh i definitely enjoyed instant gratification that's one of my top uh dgd albums uh afterburner however it it didn't really stick out in my opinion, like the whole album, I mean, the whole album overall is just, like you said, a, a collection of decent singles, um, being like a whole build up crescendo and then a, and a cool down. However, one song definitely. I already know. Huh? I already know which one. Yeah, one song sticks out, and I, I, I wish they did this more, is, uh, Calentamiento Global. And that is because they, they that's, that was a song, they, they sing it in Spanish, and, in my opinion, like that just made me feel some type of way, and I I really wish they did more of that because it was just a phenomenal song and it had me grooving, and it was just something new, you know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, like a band out of California, you'd think that they would be able to double dip into both kind of uh, things like that. But yeah, it's nice. It's a nice refresher to see that in like the swancore genre and kind of um, tiptoe around both ethnicities here. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, used heartwork. Um. <laughs> I got some I got some weird thoughts. Uh so I was super excited for this album to come out and The Use is an emo band that's been around for a very long time and they're super well respected in the genre and they they've made their place. They're not going anywhere. They're like a rock at this point, right? Um 
what you said to me the other day off air is kind of how I feel about this album. You said that the used are veterans and they can do whatever the fuck they want. And that that's kind of how I feel about this. There's there's definitely a couple of singles that I like on here. And there you could definitely tell that they were going for some radio singles with this album as well. Um there's nothing inherently bad about it. There's nothing that makes me feel like they're selling out or anything like that. But at the end of the day, this is exactly the same way how I feel about the Dance Gavin Dance album. It's not cracking any lists. It's not making me rearrange my favorites in their discography. It's just another good quality used album that they dropped and they went for a more sonically pleasing sound. They, you know, they, they channeled their pop influences on it. This is like a BB minus for me at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm gonna have to share that sentiment overall. I think there's a lot of great high points on this. And I honestly didn't even hate a lot of the, the poppy songs, but overall it doesn't feel like the, the album itself had like a singular vision, you know? Uh, they kind of like, you know what? Well, we, we're going to do this kind of song and then we're going to do it that kind of song. It's kind of just like this weird amalgamation of different types of songs. Um, most of which are, are solid. Uh, but don't quite capture that used goodness. You know, uh, there's something about the used. Um, uh, I always say that they, they always make music that sounds like it belongs in a Tim Burton movie. And, uh, this didn't have that. You know, uh, this didn't really have that kind of feel. And, uh, you know, I think they wanted to experiment. They have the right to do what they want. Like I said, they're veterans. They can do whatever the fuck they want. So um I didn't hate it. I think it's like a C plus, right? Uh The high points were really high. Obviously, the song with Caleb, the song with uh Jason Butler, like those were highlights. Uh But overall, I don't think this is something that I'll be re- revisiting a whole lot moving forward. Uh It's not like vulnerable or anything like that. But overall, an all right album. Um and I wish it was a little bit more, but unfortunately, there's not much I can do about that, right? So that is my our review of the use, and I believe that is the review of all the. Oh no, we actually have an EP of it review at the bottom. We have an EP uh, at the very end. Uh, speaking about giving a little bit more, there's a band called The Ghost Inside, and they made a comeback with a single called Aftermath. Um, I told you that when they come back, they they're gonna come back swinging, and mm-hmm. everybody's gonna get hit in the feels. This is exactly what Aftermath is as a single. Yeah. So the Aftermath. Um. This is something we've been waiting for, and uh, to me, it is one, probably the top five most powerful music videos I have ever seen. Um, obviously, everything they went through, and at the end of the song, like that last 45 seconds, where it shows them at the reunion show, and on to the left, it shows them recovering in the hospital. It's just tremendously heartbreaking. And... Um, the song itself is is typical the ghost inside, but in a good way, right? I think we all wanted the typical ghost inside. I think we would we were afraid if we got anything less than them. You know what I mean? And uh, they didn't hold any. They have proven that what they went through is not going to hold them back. That they are going to continue to be this relentless force in the alternative scene. And um, I'm glad to see them back, man. It, it was a thing of beauty. It really was. Good copy. Um, and then another, the, the super force that will be leading the the dirty, grimy scene into the next level. A band called N dropped a single called COVID Not. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this is Brendan Murphy of Counterparts, Will Putney of Fit for an Autopsy, and of Will Putney. Uh, Gregory Thomas of uh, <laughs> Shai Halud. Um, Jay Pepito of Reign Supreme. And Andrew McAney from Trade Wind and formerly of Structures. Have you listened to this single, Jacob? 
I have, yeah, I listened to it, man. <laughs> How are you doing mentally? Are you all there? Uh, Do we need uh, to check you into an asylum? Uh, I think the asylum might be something that we need to get done. Uh, cause the shit is just like, you, you know, we, we always say that something is like brutal or that it's heavy or that it's like, oh yeah, man, it like makes your ears bleed, but like in the good way, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is the prime example of seeing something before it happens, like, you know, like final destination, but musically, um, I truly think that this band and the super forces that it has assembled will really step up the level of what it means to be heavy or like, I don't want to say like the baseline, but like the extremes, you know what I mean? Of like, Oh, you like dirty, grimy, heavy shit. You should listen to end. And I feel like they are stepping, they're raising that bar without a doubt. A hundred percent. And it's, it's a scary thought to think that for basically everybody in this band, this is not even their number one priority. (laughs) This isn't you know, their main thing. This is everybody's side piece. Yeah, it's it's the, the the strangest thing in the world because they write music that most people can't even fathom to write. You know, I wonder how the writing process for this band works because obviously, like Murphy's one of the writers for Counterparts, and Will Putney has fit for an autop. You know, and like all everybody has all this shit going on in their life. So I wonder if they have just pieces that they wish they could have used for like one of their other things, but they're like, nah, this wouldn't really fit with what counterparts is doing or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, let's save it for end. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, ugh, it's so it, good. it is, <laughs> it is truly the, the end of an old era of, I don't even, I don't even know if I'd call this metal core, dude. This is like next, this is like sanction kind of vibes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, for if, sure. if, if sanction, if you took two sanctions, you know, like sanctions squared, stack them on top of each other. This is what. Yeah, <laughs> you just stack them on top of each other. There you go. Yeah, it's 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 dirt nasty, man. That that's all I can say about it. <laughs> Good copy. Um, so we started incorporating a, a couple of different genres into this podcast since Greg joined and has become a more consistent member. Um, and he told me to check out this EP. We're also a little bit late on this. This dropped in March, but this is by two artists that we both thoroughly enjoy. So this is Things Fall Apart by Fantasy Camp and Netarb. Um, Greg, you want to start this off? You want me to start this EP review off? Uh, I got some things I, I want to say. I'll start yeah, go off. ahead. Um, so things fall apart. Obviously, an EP by by Netarm Fantasy Camp. I like. I I think this is a phenomenal EP in my opinion. Um, I like it when Fantasy Camp actually does vocals. Uh, don't be wrong. I like his production when he when when he's a producer, but. I don't know, man. Somebody had Fantasy Camp's voice and the way he kind of exhibits his emotions uh, through his lyrics uh, just kind of hits me. And as much shit as me, me and Gabe give Netarb all the memes we created, uh, I think this is another phenomenal piece of his work as a producer. Uh, the whole album from start to finish is a nice flow of emotions, uh, starting off with the In Search of Lost Time and Seal Your Fate. Uh, kind of settles the whole mood in. Uh, then you have the power duo coming in with Fantasy Camp and Zubin, and things fall apart. And that is just a phenomenal song. Uh, moving on to Once in a While, which, in my opinion, is one of Fantasy Camp's greatest vocalist works. Like this is this is my favorite song out of the whole EP, and honestly, one of my favorite songs that Fantasy Camp has ever sung with, uh, that has ever sung as well as Netar produced. And then I, I I like the way how everything wraps up nicely in a in a little package with uh, La La La, where it does actually you know signify that this album you know well this EP like things actually fall apart you know like the whole theme of the uh, EP. So that's how Good that's copy. what I got on it. What what do you rate it? Because we rate things on an A to F scale here. I'll give it a solid uh, a solid A minus for sure. Good copy. Um, 
so I want to preface this review by saying that Fantasy Camp, he has a very good voice, but it's one thing to have a, a good, you know, good pipes, right? As we would say. But it is a whole nother dimension to know how to use those pipes. And I feel like Fantasy Camp has kind of, he, he knows what tools he has at his disposal and he knows how to run it. And I really like kind of the, the emotional and the vocal range that we get to see on this five, six song EP. It's absolutely wonderful. I think both artists did a great job. Um, you know, we, we kind of have a joke that like, oh, this is how like NetArt produces music and stuff. But, um, I think that the production on this and the beats were actually really good. We saw a lot of the kind of tropes and traits that we see from a NetArt song, but they weren't over the top. They weren't super intrusive. They kind of fit the mood and set the theme, as Greg said. And I, I feel like both artists did a phenomenal job on this. Um, one thing that I really like about, uh, Jonah Fantasy Camp is that he, he knows what to use. What's a combined? It's like watching a chef cook. You know what I mean? It's like when, when you're watching somebody on like Cutthroat Kitchen or something like that, you're like, okay, I kind of see what the end product is supposed to be, but then they take you along the steps and you're like, huh, I wonder why they're doing that or I wonder why they're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of get to see the, their own creativity in the dish. And I feel like this is really like a, the product of beauty between two artists that are passionate for the scene. This gets an A minus in my books as well. Um, and, you know, I always say it, I always joke around. When you get Fantasy Camp and Zubin on a track, it's like guaranteed to be a banger because that, that is like the power twins, the wonder twins right there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of the same sentiment that I have for the CP, you already encapsulated with the track run through. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And if you haven't listened to it yet, check it out. Yeah. Good uh, stuff. And right. anything else in music? No, I think that was this. this we're, we're closing in on like two hours. Copy. <laughs> yeah, so that was the Second City Kids podcast, episode number 155. So, five, five. yeah, so obviously that was one of the better episodes I think we've had in quite a while. Um, you know, just to do the content, we all had something to say though, so I'm glad to, to have that episode happen. All right, so, you know, uh, we'll see you guys when we're, when we're ready to come back, right? So, um, obviously we've been doing this bi-weekly thing. I think it's been working. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to come up with some fresh ideas to say new things, and I like it. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good episode guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next time for episode 156. 156. And until then, deuces. Thank you guys for joining us this week on the Second City Kids Podcast. You can like us on iTunes, Google, anywhere else podcasts are found. Any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email us at secondcitykids at gmail.com. Until next week, folks, deuces. Deuces.